Amen. Aren't you glad of that? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, go ahead and take your Bibles tonight. Open to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. While you're turning there, I forgot to mention uh, one other thing as well. Um, our church, uh, Pastor John and several other men, um, several times a year they'll go out to one of uh, the village areas where uh, people have contacted us uh, from the radio and things and where uh, a church is being trying to be planted. And they'll go out there and spend about a week and all throughout the day they'll go out soul winning um, and then in the evening time they'll hold services and people will come and things like this. And they just finished um, one of those this past week and Pastor John uh, sent me a text message. He said, praise the Lord. He said, Pastor, thank you so much for all the help. He said, throughout this past week in this village area where we were at, we were able to see 80 people come to know Christ as their Savior. And, uh, and so that's just an awesome thing to hear. Uh, they have another one planned in December uh, that they'll be going out to another village area and they'll spend about a week out there. Uh, and that's basically what they do all day long um, is they'll go out and they'll do soul winning. Um, they don't call it door knocking over there because you don't knock on doors. Uh, but you'll just go out through the villages and things like that and try to find people, share the gospel with them. And then at night, they'll gather together and they'll have a big service and the gospel is preached. And so be a prayer for that. And uh, it, takes, uh, it takes quite a bit of money for them to be able to do that because they're going out for a week and they, take, they try to take all the food and everything out there so they're not being a burden uh, to those in the village. And, uh, but that's just an awesome thing to be able to see. Um, now, it doesn't, it's not always that way where 80 people come to Christ. Um, that just happened this time. I think last time, several months ago, they were up uh, in Sarodi area and I think there was about 25 that came to know Christ. And so we still we praise the Lord for that. Um, but that's just an awesome thing to see. How many of you would like to go to Uganda? Oh, awesome. Very good. How many of you like to go next year? Uh, not as many hands went up that time. You're like, what? You actually put a date on it, right? Well, I'm not sure about that. Um, well, be thinking about it. We are, we are thinking maybe um, next year, maybe toward the fall or something like that, we may try to uh, uh, take a trip over there. Uh, they, Pastor John, Brother Michael, they keep asking, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? And uh, we wanted to go back in 2020, uh, which would have been the 10th anniversary for the radio station. We were going to have something really big planned. And then COVID happened, and that didn't work. And uh, so, Lord willing, we're, we're thinking maybe next year uh, doing something like that. So um, if you're really interested, think about it, um, because we'll, I'll take whoever wants to go. And uh, you have your very own tour guide, right? You don't have to pay for a tour guide. You've got them right here. So um, we'll have a great time, though. Hosea chapter 12, Hosea chapter 12, and let's read through the chapter again here. Again, it's not that long, just 14 verses. Ephraim feedeth on wind, or cheese puffs, right? That's the stensis version right there. <laughs> Ephraim feedeth on cheese puffs. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to go back last week and listen, right? And followeth after the east wind, he daily increaseth lies and desolation. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt. The Lord hath also a controversy with Jacob, and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his doings will he recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. They had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication with him. He found him in Bethel. And there he spake with us, even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. 
Therefore turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. And Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors there shall find no iniquity in me that were sin. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feasts. I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. And by a prophet the Lord, uh, excuse me, and by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore shall he leave his blood upon him, and his reproach shall his Lord return unto him. So last week we started this chapter, and um, we really just got through the first verse in um, looking basically as God is using this analogy of Hosea, or with Hosea here in chapter 11 and 12, of not in marriage with Hosea and Gomer, but with a father and a son, with uh, God, of course, being the father and Israel being the son. And really, it's the prodigal son. And we see that in chapter 11 and uh, how he is the prodigal son. He turns away from the Lord. And in chapter 12 uh, is really how the prodigal ends up in the hog pen. And what's it like being in the hog pen? And we looked a little bit about that last week, uh, how they were feeding uh, on the world and trusting in the world instead of trusting in God. In verse, in verse number one. But notice in verse number two, he says, The Lord hath also a controversy with Jacob and will punish according to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him. So when we think about this, obviously there is the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You have the northern kingdom many times referred to as Israel, uh, sometimes referred to in the book of Hosea as Ephraim. And then you also have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, right? Um, notice what he says here. The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. So God is saying here, Judah is also not going to escape punishment. He's talked about, uh, the Northern tribe of Israel being that prodigal son where really, if you think about it, um, Judah was the son that stayed home, right? Uh, you have the prodigal son, you have the two sons there. One goes as the prodigal, the other one stays. But when the prodigal returns, the other one's not happy. It wasn't that that son was perfect. He wasn't perfect at all. He had some problems himself. And God is saying the same thing here with Judah. Judah's not going to escape judgment as well. In fact, he uses Jacob as the analogy for Judah in what they had done. Uh, of course, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, but it was through Jacob that the 12 tribes came. And so he's saying that there's going to be a judgment on the northern kingdoms, the northern 10 tribes of Israel, but also on the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And, and so he's referring to them, kind of grouping them together as Jacob. And notice what he says here in verse number three. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. So he's using this analogy here of Jacob with Judah, right? Um, and again, remember, we understand Abraham is the father, but Jacob is the one who th these 12 tribes came from. And so what do we find about Jacob's life? When we study the life of Jacob, what do we find about his life? 
Um, Jacob had trouble getting along with people. Really, I mean, he had trouble with people. Um, he had struggles with his brother. Uh, even before they were born, he talks about here, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, right? So even before they were born, there's this, there's this struggle going on between uh, the brothers here before they were even born. Um, and then, of course, we know that Jacob was the one who took uh, his brother by the heel at birth. Uh, Jacob was the deceiver, uh, always trying to trip up his brother, right? Always trying to trip up Esau. In fact, in Genesis chapter 27, Esau complains to their father Isaac about Jacob, right? And this is what he says. Um, He said, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. So here Esau is complaining about his brother because his brother is a deceiver. Uh, His brother has, has deceived him and basically took away his birthright, but he's also, uh, through the the deception of him and the mother kind of being involved here, uh, has now stolen his blessing as well, the blessing that was supposed to be given to to the firstborn. Um, So Jacob just had problems with people, right? Um, He he had problems in his home, right? There were problems there with the parents. Um, uh, Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob, you know, there's this favoritism going on, and, and of course, even among the brothers, there was this divisiveness um, with his wives, he had lots of problems with his wives, um, you know, with his father-in-law, Laban, uh, you think about the conflict that he had with Laban for almost uh, 20 years, he had this conflict with Laban, um, with his children. You think about the conflict that he has with his, with all of his children, his, his 12 sons and then his daughters and everything that goes on there. I mean, Jacob just, I mean, really, if you, you want to look at a messed up family, go back and study Jacob's life and his family. That is, it was a messed up family, right? And so the, the one thing that's great about this is you, you can say, man, my family's messed up. Well, that may be, but God can still use you. Amen. Uh, aren't you glad that, because let's just be honest, every family is messed up, right? Every family's messed up. There is no perfect family. And if God can take a messed up family like Jacob and all the problems that he had, uh, I'm telling you, God can pretty much use, use anybody in their family, right? Um, he had problems even with the Lord. Um, in, in, again, in verse number three, and by his strength, he had power with God. There's, there's a struggle here, right? In his strength, he is, he is struggling. He is, uh, he is fighting with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with us. So we find this, uh, this fighting with God and it really wasn't until he surrendered to the Lord at Jabbok that really Jacob begins to walk with God. Right, so he's he's brought up in uh, in Isaac's home, and then of course because of the problems that he has with his brother and his father, he has to leave because Esau wants to kill him. He leaves and he goes, and uh, and on the way there, what happens as he's going to to Haran? Uh, something takes place on the way, um, and on the way there, God appears to Jacob. Uh, and God tells him, he said, look, the same promises that I gave to 
Abraham, your grandfather, and the same promises that I gave to Isaac, your father, they're the same promises that I want to give to you, right? And so Jacob, or God appears to Jacob here, but it's not until many years later that Jacob really learns to walk with God and to trust God. Notice he says, um, yea, he had power over the angel, prevailed, he wept, made supplication unto him, he found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us, even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. So watch what he says, therefore turn thou to thy God, right? So just as Jacob finally turned to the Lord after trying to live his life his own way and doing what he thought was right and, uh, and all the problems that went along with it, when he finally turned to the Lord, this is what God is saying. He's pleading with Israel and Judah to turn to the Lord as well. Again, the Lord had met with Jacob there in Bethel on his way to Haran back in Genesis chapter 28. Of course, we know the story of the ladder that ascending, uh, uh, the ascending from heaven and the angels going up and down on it, right? Um, and then Jacob goes ahead and goes on to, to Haran and he meets Laban there and uh, there's where he stays for 14 years, right? Uh, trying to, to work for his wives. But Jacob got away from the Lord. And it wasn't until he came back to Bethel in, in Genesis chapter 35 where we see a spiritual beginning, not only for Jacob, but for his family, right? Go with me, hold your place here in Hosea, go back to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, of course, Jacob is, when he leaves, he leaves deceitfully, from Laban. He doesn't tell Laban that he's leaving and he, he leaves kind of in the night trying to steal away. And then of course, Laban catches up with them and they, they have their, their issues there. And then as Jacob is continuing on, guess what he hears? Well, he hears that Esau is coming and he's afraid that Esau is still mad at him and the Esau is going to kill him. And so he, he divides up his family, right? Into different groups. And he's like, uh, well, you know, if Esau kills them and, uh, and kills all the, the, the presents and things that I give, maybe he'll have pity on the next one, right? I've always wondered what must the wives and the children have thought about that? Really? I mean, think about it because he basically divides up his family into four groups, right? And the ones that he loves the most, he keeps closest to him. The ones that I guess he didn't really care much about, he puts out there first and says, all right, if something happens, I'm not really sure. You see how messed up this family is, right? I mean, this is, this is not what you would say. This is not the model family here, okay? But in Genesis chapter 35, as Jacob is returning, something happens. In Genesis chapter 35, God meets with Jacob again, and he tells him in verse number one, and God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau, thy brother. So he's referring back to when God had first met with him as he was leaving. And now he's saying, hey, you need to get back to that place. You need to get back to Bethel. Remember, Bethel means what? What does the word Bethel mean? the house of God, right? It means the house of God. That's what the word Bethel means, the house of God. And that's where God had first met with Jacob. Jacob had got away from God and God is telling him, you need to get back to Bethel. You need to get back to the house of God. So what happens? Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him. Now watch what he says. Put away the strange gods that are among you. Wait a minute. Where did those strange gods come from? Jacob didn't leave with strange gods. Where did they come from? They came from Haran. 
They came from where Laban was and all the strange gods that were being worshipped there. They ended up taking some of them with them on their journey. And God says, no, 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 sorry, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. You can't have those gods and me at the same time. It's either going to be me or it's going to be those gods that you serve. You see the correlation that God is speaking with Israel, right? You've got to leave those gods. You've got to put aside Baal. You've got to put aside these other gods. And you have to make a choice. It's either going to be those gods or it's going to be me. That's why he says there uh, back in chapter in Hosea chapter 12, verse 6, turn to the Lord, right? Put away those gods and turn back to the Lord. And so what does he say here? He says, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. So here Jacob is saying, hey, we, we, have, we have made a mistake. Uh, we, have, we have turned away from God. We have forsaken God. And now it's time to get back to God. This is exactly what Hosea is telling Israel. You have forsaken God. You followed after these false gods. It's time to turn back to God. It's time to leave those things and turn back to God. This is what he's saying. If you go back to Hosea 12, 6, turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. Again, as you've been studying, as we've been studying through Hosea, there's no mercy in Israel. There's no justice in Israel. I mean, basically, everybody's doing whatever they want. We're going to see in a minute how he reiterates this again, right? So he puts away the false gods, and he commands his family to worship the Lord alone. By the way, men, that's your job. Men, that is your job as the leader of your family to make sure that your family is not following false gods. And if they are, it's your responsibility to step and say, hey, wait a second, that's wrong. We're not going to serve those false gods. We're going to serve the Lord God. That's the, that's the father's, that's the husband's, that's the man's responsibility in the home. You say, is that easy? Well, of course not. Was this an easy turn for Jacob? No. It wasn't easy for Jacob to, to turn and do this. Just as any time a person gets away from the Lord, the return won't be just a piece of cake. It's not just going to be a simple thing to, to turn back to God. It was actually even on this journey in turning back to God that Jacob experience, experiences death and heartache in his family. Uh, Deborah, the uh, Rachel or Rebecca's... Um, I got to get the right one here. Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel. Got it. Okay. You just keep talking and it's like, okay, did I just say the right one there? I'm not sure. So Deborah, Rachel's nurse, dies. And then even later on, Rachel, who was part of that last group that was going to go over, Rachel, his beloved the one that he loved first the one that he got tricked by his own father-in-law right he's he's working for rachel and he works seven years for rachel and then instead of getting rachel laban gives him Leah, and then he's got to work another seven years for rachel this is the one that he loved and she dies on the on this journey it wasn't easy for jacob there are going to be hardships and difficulties when following the lord but guess what? 
there are hardships and difficulties when you don't follow the Lord. I'm not, I'm not really under, I'm not really sure why people think that the hardships and difficulties only come if you follow the Lord. If you follow God, you're just going to have a hard time. If you follow God, there's going to be difficulties and hardships and, and trials and things. Wait a minute. Do you know that lost people lose their jobs? It's not just Christians that lose their jobs. Lost people lose their jobs too. Lost people suffer loss of friends and relatives to death. It's not just Christians that are following God that have to experience death of a relative or a friend or someone like that. Lost people suffer heartache and distress. For some reason, we get this idea, if, if, if it's following God, then that's where your heartache and your distress and everything's going to be by following God. Wait a minute. The world goes through the very same things. Do you understand? Every person dies. Everybody dies. Everybody experiences heartaches. Everybody experiences distress. There's nobody that's immune to those things. But somehow we get ourselves convinced that only following God brings those things. And if I turn back to God, then that's gonna, it's going to bring heartache and it's going to bring difficulty and all these different things. No, see, the difference is if we are following the Lord, we have someone who's going to walk through those times with us. We have someone who will never leave us alone. But you see, a lost person doesn't have that. A lost person doesn't have that because they don't know Christ. Someone that is away from God, they're not going to have that closeness with God to, to walk through those difficult times with them. Hey, can I tell you something? If you're going to go through difficult times and heartaches and distress, it's better to be with God than without God. Because those heartaches and distresses and difficult times are going to come. There's no doubt about that. Whether you're with God or you're without God, but let me tell you something. When you're going through him, it's a whole lot better to be with God. Let's get it out of our mind that somehow that, well, if I don't follow the Lord, if I don't serve God, then everything's going to be okay. That there's never going to be any problems. There's never going to be a sickness. There's never going to be a death. Um, go, to the, go to the cemetery. You think every person in the cemetery that's there was saved? You think everybody in the hospital is saved? Of course not. But somehow we get this in our mind that it's only those following the Lord that experience heartaches and difficulties. <laughs> No, that's just part of life. So why not go go through those things with the Lord? Let him walk through those things with us. And this is what he's saying here. Turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment. Wait on thy God continually. Follow him. Don't don't quit. Right? When there are times when it gets tough, don't just quit. You keep following the Lord. You stay with him continually. That is, that is it's, it's never ceasing. I, I'm just going to determine that no matter what happens, I'm going to keep following the Lord. Heartaches come, difficulties come, death comes, sickness comes, joy comes, whatever it is, I'm just going to keep following the Lord. Why? Because it's going to happen one way or the other. And as a Christian, it's better to be following the Lord. And that's what he says. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. Now, he gives the faults of Israel here. He gives the faults. Notice the faults that he gives in verses 7 and 8. He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. And Ephraim said, yet I am become rich. I am found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. So think about this. In, in dealing with Judah or dealing with the southern kingdom, he says he is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand, right? What's he talking about? They were dishonest. 
There was dishonesty. There was oppression. Again, go back through the book of Amos. Go back through Hosea. You go back and follow the history of, of Israel, both the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Uh, there was just, there, there wasn't mercy Yes, there were times of revival in the southern kingdom where, where a king would lead the people to follow God, but it wasn't every king. And God says because of all the kings that are, that are turning away from God, there's going to bring judgment here. That there's oppression, right? He talks about this dishonesty, the balances that he refers to here, the balances of deceit are in his hand. Uh, I know sometimes we don't understand balances in our day and age today, but it's like a scale, Right? It's like a scale. If you were to go to Uganda or uh, many of these third world countries and you would go to the open air market, you would find like a, a bag of beans or uh, a bag of rice or, or sugar or something like that. And, and they'll have a scoop and they'll, they'll scoop it into a bag and they'll have a balance right here. And, and you say, well, I want one kilo or I want one pound, right? And so they'll scoop it in here and then they'll put a little weight. They'll put a, late, a weight on one side and then they'll put your bag of beans on the other side. And then if the weight is too heavy, they'll add a few more beans. And you'll start seeing the weight come up a little bit. If the beans are too heavy, they're not going to give you extra beans. They're going to take some out, right? They're, gonna, they're making it so it's balanced, right? But here's the problem. They cheat on the scales. What's supposed to be a pound is not a pound. Instead of it being 16 ounces, it's only 14 ounces, but it says a pound, right? But it's only 14 ounces. You think, well, that's not a big deal. Well, you think about how many times people are coming and they're losing out on all that and the merchant is gaining all that extra. It's deceitful, right? That's why you, you have people that check the, the scales and things. Even here in America, they have scales that are, that are checked constantly to make sure that they're weighing accurately so that people aren't being cheated out of stuff, right? That's what he's saying. They were dishonest, they, they didn't care that they were ripping people off. They didn't care that they were causing oppression. Look what he says about Ephraim here. And again, just Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance. In all my labors they shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. Wow, that's a bold statement. Right? What is Ephraim saying? Again, Many times when you, when you, when we see Ephraim, it's referring to the entire northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, because Ephraim was the largest tribe. But in, but in this instance, though it may be referring to all of them, it really is specifically talking about the tribe of Ephraim. Because the tribe of Ephraim was the largest tribe of the northern, of the northern kingdom. So watch what he says. I am become rich. I have found me out substance. You know what they said? We are good, man. We've got it all. There's nothing we don't need. We have riches beyond your imagination. And they were a wealthy kingdom, right? They said, we've, we've got it. Now, here's the thing. Is, is riches bad? Are riches bad? No. The Bible never says riches are bad. The Bible never says money is bad. What the Bible does say in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Never says money is the root of all evil, right? Money is just an object, right? It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. Money is just an object, but he says the love of it, in other words, the desire, the, the being consumed with it, that is the root of all evil. 
And what we have here is Ephraim was consumed with riches. They were only consumed and concerned about getting more and more and more and more. But watch what else they say. By the way, that's very similar to what happens in the church in Revelation chapter 3. When he says, thou sayest, I am rich and have need of nothing. And Jesus says, yet thou knowest not that thou art naked and cold and miserable and blind. They thought they had everything that they needed. And Jesus says, you don't even, you you don't have anything, right? Oh, they might have had material possessions. They might have had some money. They might have had the thing, the possession thing. But he says, that's, that's worthless. It's, it's nothing, right? And then notice what he says here. And this is very, very proud here. In all my labors... They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. You know what that is? That can be summed up in one word right there. Pride. Pride. They were very prideful. Ephraim thought they were an important tribe. They were the largest, right? They were of the sons of Joseph. Remember? Joseph had, had two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the oldest. Ephraim was the youngest. And Joseph was, man, he's this great ruler in Egypt. I mean, everybody knew who Joseph was. Even centuries later, everybody knew who Joseph was. Man, he was the one that God put in Egypt, and he was second to Pharaoh. And everybody knew about his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. But when it came time for Jacob to bless the sons, Jacob, who was supposed to, again, the blessing was always supposed to be for the firstborn. Instead of blessing Manasseh, guess who got blessed? Ephraim. Ephraim got blessed. And now Ephraim thinks, hey, we're somebody special. I mean, the blessing skipped over Manasseh and it came to us. We are special. Not only did they get the the blessing from uh, Jacob, but Joshua. Remember Joshua? Man, the great conqueror of the promised land. Guess what tribe he was from? Ephraim. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. By the way, when the, 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 when the kingdom split and Rehoboam uh, says, hey, I'm not going to follow the, the counsel of the, of the wise men. You know, I'm going to make your, your struggles worse and hard. And the kingdom split. Guess what tribe the first king of the northern kingdom was from? Jeroboam the first. Guess what tribe he was from? Ephraim. He's from Ephraim. So Ephraim thinks, hey, we're, we're somebody special, right? And they were lifted up in pride, and they basically said, you can't find any iniquity with us. Let me tell you something. When you start saying you can't find any iniquity in me, you can't find any sin in me, you've got a big problem. And this is what Ephraim was saying. Man, Judah was, they were oppressing people. Judah had their problems, but Ephraim is basically saying, we are good, we don't need anyone, and we don't need anything. And you can't find anything wrong with us. Well, Hosea found a lot wrong with them. God found a lot wrong with them, right? And notice what God says here in verse number 9. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feasts. You know what God says? You think you're so prideful? You're, you're lifted up in pride. He says, I'm going to humble you. You think you have everything that you need. You think that you're, you're set. You don't need anyone or anything. He says, you're going to find out something different. He says, I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. Again, he's reminding them, I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that brought you into the promised land. And what does he say? Yet... Um, uh, from the land of Egypt uh, will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feast. 
Remember, they're, they're, they're really excited about all their beautiful palaces and mansions and everything like this. The word tabernacles here basically means tents. That's how they had lived for 40 years, remember? Wandering through the wilderness in tents, and they said, hey, we're never going back to that again. We're going to make beautiful homes, and we're going to make palaces, and, and we're going to live the good life. And God says, I'm going to humble you so much, you're going to be living in tents again. And not just living in tents, but you're going to be slaves again. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt and delivered you from bondage. But guess what? You're going to go back into bondage. You're going to go back under the Assyrians and you're going to be living in tents again. You think your, your palaces, you think your, your all, all that you have is, is of value. He said, I'm going to take it all away from you. And I'm going to bring you low again. Verse 10, he says, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. God had sent prophets over and over and had given visions, but the people would not listen. Verse number 11, is there iniquity in Gilead? God's asking this question. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the field. They were offering sacrifices. They were offering sacrifices remember we we've already they were very religious they were offering sacrifices but it meant nothing to god and he uses two cities here to represent the whole part of the northern kingdom he uses gilead and he uses gilgal gilead was like the social center right that was the social center but gilgal was the religious center and so he says, he's using both of these things, right? In Gilead, he says, is there iniquity in Gilead? The social area where everybody was like, hey, we're, we've got it made. This was where the, the prosperity and everything was. He says, surely they are vanity. He said, it's all gonna be nothing. Everything that you're trusting in, it's all gonna be empty. It's all gonna be nothing. It's gonna be vanity, right? And then they sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Here's the religious center. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. What do the heaps of the fields here mean? They're, they are as heaps in the furrows of the field. Basically, what he's saying is their altars, that they would offer all these sacrifices to these false gods, were as plentiful as the stones that they would throw out of a plowed field. So when they would plow a field, of course, it was done not with machines and things, but they would get bullocks and oxen and they would hook a plow up. And as they would plow and they would turn up a rock, they would take these rocks and they would throw them into a certain area. And you would have these rock, this pile of rocks all throughout, all around these different fields. They would turn up the rocks and they would get rid of them and they'd make this big pile. And everywhere you'd look, you looked across this, uh, this area where they're planting and you'd see rock piles all over the place. Because they didn't want the rocks in where they were plowing. And so you saw rock piles everywhere. He says that's the way they were sacrificing. They were sacrificing to these false gods everywhere. (laughs) But why did they throw the rocks out? Because the rocks were worthless. You cannot grow rocks. Now I will have to say, when we were in Israel a couple years ago, it really does seem like Israel grows rocks. Okay, because they are like everywhere, all right? But you can't, right? You can't grow rocks. And so they, they were useless. They were worthless. And so they would take them out and they'd just make piles of them. This is what he's saying. Think again, right? They are, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the field. They're just worthless. All these altars, they're all over the place. They're offering sacrifices. But yet he says they're worthless. They're just like a pile of rocks. They're worthless. 
That's what God thought of their sacrifices. That's what God thought of their religion. It was worthless. So what does he say? Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. So he's reminding them how God had blessed. He's reminding them that God had blessed. God had allowed Jacob to go to Haran, to Syria, to find this wife. God had allowed Jacob to come back, and he had, he had brought him back, even though he had served there for a wife for many years. He kept sheep by a prophet, talking about Moses. The Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. So God used Moses to bring Israel out and then to preserve them through the wilderness, and then over and over there are prophets. So he's talking about the, the blessings that God has blessed Israel with how God had blessed them and using Moses to deliver them out of Egypt, bring them back into the promised land, and God had kept his promise and made a great nation out of them. And how did they return God's blessings? Look in verse 14. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore shall he leave his blood upon him, and his reproach shall his Lord return unto him. They provoked the Lord to anger. And that's one thing for it to say the Lord provoked, they, they provoked the Lord to anger. But there's an extra word in there. They provoked the Lord to anger bitterly. This just wasn't some casual offense. Oops, we didn't recognize what we were doing. No, this was we know exactly what we're doing and we don't care. God, we know what you say. We know what you want for us. We don't care. We're going to do what we want. And friend, when we come to that point in our life where we say, God, I know what you say, and I don't care what you say. I will simply do what I want to do. We are on dangerous ground. Because we are provoking God to anger. We're provoking him. And the longer we do it and the more atrocities that come and things like this, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And finally, God says, you have provoked the Lord to anger most bitterly. And yet, God still sends Hosea. And again, this is time is running out now. Again, remember, Hosea is prophesying almost 70 years throughout this whole, the whole book. I know you can read the whole book in you know, 20 minutes or so. But there's about 70 years here that, that Hosea begins the prophecy dealing with, with Gomer and, and Hosea. And now as we're coming near to the end, this is, this is right before Assyr- the Assyrians come and destroy Israel. And he's saying, would you turn to the Lord? Jacob got away from God, but you know what? He turned back to the Lord and God blessed him. Yes, Israel, you've gotten away from God, but if you'll turn back to the Lord, God will forgive and God will do what is, only God can do and he will bring you back when we don't deserve it. He says, turn thou to thy God. Even though you've done all of this, Israel, turn back to God. We say, well, you know, I know God is merciful and I go, know God is long-suffering and uh, he's very gracious and so I'll just keep doing it. You know, I'll just keep doing it because I know God will always give me another chance. 
I'll just keep doing it because I know he's still long-suffering. I'll just keep doing it because I know he's, he's gracious. I'll just, keep, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, knowing that it's wrong, because I know that God will be merciful. But friend, there comes a point when God says enough is enough. And God says, you have provoked me to anger most bitterly, and enough is enough. You say, when does that happen, preacher? I don't know. And neither do you. And you might think, well, I can do it one more time. Just one more time, I'll I'll keep going, because God's going to be merciful. Just one more time, I'll do it, and God's going to be long-suffering. Just one more time, I'll do it, and and, and it's going to be okay, because I'll repent after this next time. Friend, that next time could be the time that God says, that's enough. No more. You know what would be better to do? Turn to thy God. Don't wait till the next time. Don't be like, well, I'll just do it one more time because I know God's going to be merciful and gracious and long-suffering. No, no, just do it now. Do you know why you can do it now? Because God is gracious and long-suffering and merciful. That you can do it now. But you keep pushing, and you keep pushing, and you keep pushing, and God's going to say finally, no more. Enough's enough. And we know what happened to Israel. It wasn't pleasant. And yet, before it even happened, God says, if you'll just turn to the Lord, I'll forgive you. But you keep pushing and pushing, God says, no more. Israel would not turn. And what happened? God brought judgment. God brought the Assyrian army. God wiped them out. They, they, they saw their families murdered. They saw their, their livestock. They saw their homes destroyed. They saw their country ravaged. Taken, many of them, into captivity, into slavery, where they would die in a foreign country. Like the prodigal son in the hog pen. But they didn't have to go there if they'd have just turned and repented father i pray you'd help us lord to recognize and realize how important it is that we don't just keep saying well lord one more day one more time it'll be all right lord i know you're long suffering it'll be okay one more time i know you're gracious one more time i know you're merciful one more time but lord when we truly know what you have said and we just continually refuse to listen and obey Lord there is a line we can cross and we don't know when that is and only you do but there's a line that we can cross when you say enough is enough and judgment must come And Father, I pray you'd help us to recognize that we have the opportunity right now to repent and turn to you because of your long-suffering, because of your mercy and your grace to us. Lord, may would we follow you, not putting it off, not waiting till we get to the hog pen like the prodigal son, but before we even get there, say, Lord, I don't want to go a step farther. I want to turn to you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, would you help us? You are gracious. You are merciful. You are long-suffering. And may we be obedient to you now, not waiting 
another time. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, just for a moment, the piano's just going to play softly.